Well, welcome to all of you. And uh, spring break, is anybody else being bothered by pollen right now? Man, oh man. You know, I was kind of looking like, I, I look like I've been in a prize fight. My eyes are so swollen. They're black and blue. Nope, Patty doesn't hit me often. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's just crazy. So just uh, bear with me. Uh, I'm coughing a lot and correcting my throat. Uh, I, I normally just make those noises at home, but I, I hope not to do it too terribly bad here today. But I'm glad that I'm a fellow sufferer with many of you. Uh, welcome to those that are live streaming with us. We're so glad that you're here. Those of you that are here every Sunday, thank you for always being a part of this great uh, faithful body of worshipers. Well, we're in our uh, continuing our journey in Lent. We're talking about the names of Jesus. And as I was thinking about Jesus the stone, um, it made me think about games. How many of you like to play games? Yeah? I like to play a game like Euchre, a card game, um, you know, poker without waging money, of course. And, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> and, and, you know, like my grandkids, they love to play like kickball outside. When they come over, we play kickball outside. Uh, they like to play hide and seek inside. But this is one of my favorite games over here to the left. Anybody know what this game is? Jenga, right. Pastor Pam's going to help me this morning. And, um, you know, this is a really cool game, and I am especially grateful to my friends Garrett and Deb Digman. They are members of St. Paul. They normally attend our second service, and um, they allowed me to borrow their Jenga set. Now, if you've never played Jenga, Jenga is one of those games that it's really kind of a, a game of strategy, but it's also a, a game of foundational things. And the, the whole goal of this game is uh, to start removing some of these blocks inside of here without this whole tower coming tumbling down. And when you take the pieces out, you have to add them back to the top so that it continues to grow in those things. So, so Pastor Pam, uh, she's our victim today. And uh, so, so we're going we're gonna to play and, and uh, you know, just say a little prayer for her. So I'm going to make the first move there, and uh, we're going to see what she comes up with here. Yeah, your senior pastor's not too competitive. Not at all. Oh. The one thing I told her was that this thing cannot fall apart while we're doing this. So, uh, so you know, so, so you, see, you see how, the, how this game is going already. Obviously, I'm going to win. Um, ooh, careful. Ooh. Okay, well, we're going to stop with that one. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, so I can't have you, like, one up on me here. Let me think about which one I want to do. I always kind of like to just play around with some of these to see what's going on. Uh, no, oh, oh, here's one right here. Look at that. Okay, now we'll stop right there because the, the big boss always finishes last. So there we go. Okay, thanks, Pastor Pam. Appreciate that. So, so you can kind of look at that, and if you're from my angle looking at this, it's going like, wow, uh, all of those blocks, some spaces are missing, and it's supported by a foundation which is on the bottom. And we'll get to that a little bit later, but uh, hopefully that table won't come crashing down. It's a little wobbly. But, um, you know, when I was a kid, we would travel to North Florida. My, my dad's parents, my dad's family grew up in North Florida, a little town called Bonifay in Holmes County. And uh, I used to love crawling under my grandmother's house. It was a 1940s home, a wooden structure. Uh, it was built on pylons, you know, and, uh, and it had the, you know, just, it was really intricate underneath. And I would love crawling underneath and chase snakes and rats and those kind of things. You know, that's what boys do, right? Um, and, and go under there. And I would look at how this whole structure of this house was put together. My dad always told me, he said, son, while you're under there, there's one pylon, and he told me which side of the house was on. He said, don't ever go near it, don't touch it, don't play with it, because if you knock that pylon there, this whole house will come tumbling down. 
Um, you know, we, we look at some of these things and we wonder a little bit about foundations, and foundations are very important, aren't they? Our houses, uh, the foundations are really important as we, as we look at those. And, and um, if you ever have a problem with your foundation, um, you, you have to get it correct. In fact, I'll tell you that, that what's allowable in, in some of these kinds of things is one-sixteenth of an inch. Uh, disparity with a crack. And then if the faces start rubbing against each other and it makes it a little bit larger, you're in a lot of trouble. So we've got a couple of photos of some foundational uh, issues. So there's, there's a foundation that's cracked. You see how the cracking is going on that? And um, if, if it gets out of hand and you don't get it repaired, here's what happens next. Look at that. Wow. You know, we look at that and we think, wow, we live in Florida, you know, sinkholes and all that stuff. But, but foundations are extremely important. Uh, our oldest daughter lives in, in Mississippi with her family in Jackson. And, and one of the things I found out about Jackson, Mississippi, is that the quality of land in which you build your homes and buildings on is all made of clay. And if you're from that region, you know exactly what I'm saying. And depending upon what kind of weather's happening and conditions and all, that clay shifts and uh, so they had a problem with the foundation on their home before they bought it. They had to have all these surveyors come in and engineers and stuff and get it fixed. So it's a reminder for us today the importance and the significance of, of this whole thing of, of having a strong foundation. Now, the Apostle Peter, uh, in the scripture that we just read this morning, uh, talks to us about this foundational piece. <clears throat> and he tells us that there's some great significance and its importance in there. But we have, to, we have to understand what was going on with Peter during the time that he's writing these letters. Peter is the bishop of Rome. He was the first bishop of Rome, uh, the first pastor of Rome, so to speak, Christian pastor. And so he's known as the bishop of Rome. And Rome was going through some very strenuous times. In Rome, there was a lot of chasing after false gods. The Romans had their own set of gods. The Greeks had their own set of gods. And lots of things were happening in between. So, so there was this constant battle in the early church, especially these new believers and followers of the way. Jesus was called the way. Um, they weren't called Christians then. They were called followers of the way. And so Jesus, uh, they're following him. And, and there's all these battles of who's right, who's wrong, whose God is real, whose God isn't, what God is more powerful, what incantation can one do, what kind of price can one pay for all these things uh, that God would do. And depending upon the circumstance, what would it yield with regard to that which they were seeking? Well, Peter draws out of the scripture a reference to Isaiah 28, and here's what the prophet wrote. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. So what's he saying? You know, Peter is using the prophet's writings to detail us back to his experience as to who God was in Jesus. And he says to us, if we, if we use Christ as our foundation, that we will never be disappointed. That we can disappoint each other all day long. I can say things to you, you can say them to me. You can promise me to some things, I can promise them to you, depending upon how the day's going. Time might get away, fleeting, those things. But he says that the foundation of Jesus Christ is immovable. It can't be moved, it can't change, it is, it is perfect in that way. So what he's alluding to is he's helping us to understand that if we build our life on a foundation of Jesus Christ, that our life is guaranteed not to crumble in the midst of our storms. Now, listen, I've been through some storms in my life. I've talked about some of those on Sunday mornings. The odds are you've been through storms in your life. And sometimes when we go through those storms, we're not really sure how we're going to get through it, are we? In fact, some of us get scared, we get uh, afraid, we, we might doubt a little bit. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, says that there's something called honest doubt, 
that is not a renouncing of our faith, but it's just that honest doubt that comes at times, and God certainly understands that. But, but we have these things that come. But he says, Peter says that, that this stone is something we cannot be ashamed of, that we can stand behind it. It will protect us. It will keep us safe. It's a stone that we are not ashamed of. It is a spiritual house upon which we will build. And if we place all of our uh, hope and our future and everything that there is about us in the foundation of Jesus Christ, Peter says, then we have nothing at all that we need to worry about. Well, several years ago, I placed my trust in an individual um, we all have friends, we all have business associates, we have folks in our source groups, our small groups, Sunday classes. I placed uh, my trust in an individual and uh, we built a great friendship and we had a lot of uh, wonderful experiences together and there was lots of things in which he entrusted in me and I entrusted in him. And then there came a point in time in our lives where uh, he compromised that. Maybe it's happened to you, maybe you've trusted in someone and, and something's happened and they've compromised your trust in them. Uh, that's what happened to me. And what I realized in that situation was as much as I had hoped, as much as I had uh, built upon the fact that I could have a trusted foundational relationship with this individual, it proved to be wrong. And it got me thinking about the importance of that is that, um, yes, we need to uh, invest in one another. And I'm not saying don't ever trust people. I'm not saying that at all. We need to trust each other. But we also need to lift that standard and we need to set the right expectation, but we also have to guard our heart that we're not finding the foundation of our life in humanity, but that we find it on the spiritual connection, that God is the one who provides the foundation as much as we might think ourselves or others do, it's God who provides that. So Peter then um, moves in this direction where he talks about how, how Christ is the foundation, the chief cornerstone and all that, but then he raises this issue that he's the stumbling block. Now, that might like, catch you off guard. In fact, if you read the New Testament and you read the Old Testament, you read the entire Bible, you realize that what is contained between the pages of the first book, Genesis, to the ending book of Revelation, everything within that is a message of hope. And that God's word draws us close to him. In fact, the scripture says that we just uh, raise the name of Jesus, uh, we just raise the cross, we raise all those things of our faith, and people are drawn unto him. And so we know that the scriptures hold a, a series of hope, but, but why is Peter talking about Jesus being a stumbling block to people? Now that's kind of uh, counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we want to think that he's not that at all. But what we see here is he writes for the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. So what is that? Well, he's reminding us that, that Jesus is the foundation of humanity, but more importantly, he's the foundation of the establishment of the church. <clears throat> you know, when, when Jesus said, Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church, I think he was less saying that, that all the weight of the church was on Peter's shoulders, and I think Jesus was conveying to him, upon me, Peter, I'm the rock, and upon that, you will be a leader in the church, but the church is built upon me, the rock. And so it's immovable, it's unshakable, it's those kind of things. So, so Peter says, though, that, that something can happen. It's the group of folks that when we find ourselves who are untrusting, when we, when we are untrusting about Jesus as the cornerstone or the rock, we begin to not see him as the foundation. And I uh, want to reflect on that a little bit. He says that the, the stone that the builders rejected became the true cornerstone, and the point is, if you believe in the stone, if you believe upon the stone, which is Jesus Christ, you can't lose. If you disbelieve in the stone, then you have everything to lose. 
And that's the, the piece that Peter's trying to say. So, so it's really less about a message of condemnation, although, although Peter is saying you need to trust this foundational stone. You need to believe in who God is in Jesus Christ. He is saying that. But he's also giving a message of hope and reminder to the Christians who are under persecution at his time. And he's saying stay grounded to the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. So we see some significant things that are happening here. You see, sometimes we realize that, that through our actions, we know that we have free will. And as good Wesleyan theologians, people who understand um, you know, that God gave us the ability to choose, we understand that in, in all instances that we are the ones who generate the outcome of our life. The choices that we make will dictate in detail how the story ends on our daily plight of life. For instance, um, things don't just happen or that things don't happen because God orchestrates that. You know, our Wesleyan theology says that, that we are not a reformed thinker, that we don't believe that God is tinkering with everything and everything happens because God willed it that way. Here's what we believe. We say that God gives us free will. God chooses when to engage and interact and connect in the world, and we see that through miracles all throughout the Scripture. But what we choose makes a difference. Here's an example. If I choose to go to a bar and I drink um, overwhelmingly and I become unable or inebriated and I get behind a wheel, it is my choice to do that, and that ends up in an accident that harms somebody. That's not God's fault. That's my fault. Are you following me? So, so, so we have this aspect of free will that's here. So what Peter is saying is that every day we have a choice, and that choice is we either choose Christ as our foundation or we negate it. But here's what he points to. He says, regardless of what our choice is, we cannot change the fact that God chooses to shower us with his grace. We cannot, based upon our choices, take power away from God. God always remains sovereign. But what we see is the significance. Peter says, we must be mindful of the choices that we make. So in other words, we can choose to reject God, but we cannot destroy his offer to love us, to establish a connection with us, to relate to us, to, to desire us to be holy as he is holy. C.S. Lewis, uh, the great uh, inspirational writer, he put it this way. He said, we all serve God inevitably, but it makes a great difference whether you serve like Judas or whether you serve like John. Big difference there. So in the end, God is triumphant in our belief and in our disbelief. So whether we choose to believe in God or not, it doesn't change the fact that God is triumphant that God is, remains sovereign and God is who God is. And you and I, whether good or evil, accepting or rejecting, believing or disbelieving, we cannot thwart the ultimate power of God. We are below God. We cannot thwart that power. So Peter says there's some hope that's in this. So our daily choices, we have to be very careful. We have to understand who Christ is. We have to understand and believe him to be the true foundation of who we are. And we as the church know that he is the chief cornerstone of what the church is because without Christ, there is no church. Are you following me this morning? So these are some really important pieces that we see here. So, so uh, you might ask, well, how can this be true? Well, let me give another example. Let's suppose that there's something that's dreadfully happening in your life and you're fleeing from it. 
And as you flee from it, let's say you run through the doors of this church and you kneel at this altar and you understand that this place here represents a holy space and that this is one of our great symbols that we have, that this is a holy space here and we can meet God here. So let's say that you come and you're, you're, you're dealing with a huge impact in your life and you come and you kneel here and you pray. You are overwhelmed and overcome by the presence and the grace of God. You can find shelter in the love of God. God will make it safe for you. Or, are you connecting here? On the flip side, let's say that you're not a person of faith and you're going through things and you come running into a church and you kneel at an altar and you don't believe anything about any of the teachings that we say of the Christian faith, then this altar is probably something you're gonna trip over because you're not gonna know what it is and it's not gonna make a hill of beans for you. And so there's a significance that Peter's drawing here. It is important for us to know what the foundation represents and why that is. So recall what the prophet wrote in Isaiah 28, 16 again. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. So what he says is that that foundation is immovable, unshakable, and that when we seek it, we can find it. In fact, our Wesleyan theology would say that God doesn't just wait for us to come find him, that God is constantly seeking us. And I talked about that a little bit last week when I referenced the three lost stories in Luke. So these significant things are happening and the, and the thing that it is, but in the end, it's the choice that we make, whether it, the cornerstone is our foundation or whether it becomes a stumbling block. In 2003, Patty and I bought a home in Lake Mary, Florida, and when we bought that home, um, uh, we, we had all these uh, great hopes and dreams of what that would be and, and those kind of things for us. And as we were cleaning out the house, one thing we noticed when we opened the door that went underneath the stairs, the two-story home, we noticed that there was a lot of stuff that the family that lived there before us had left. Maybe that's happened to you. You move into a house and it's not as clean as you thought it was and you're getting rid of a couple of things. Well, there was the normal stuff. There were like little dinosaur, plastic dinosaur toys, so they probably had kids. Uh, there were some clothes. There were some different kinds of things. But then we noticed something that was under there. It was a heavy leather-bound book and it was a, it was a book of sorcery. And we had known that the people that uh, lived there um, were from Haiti. And uh, we didn't know them personally, but we just knew a little bit about them. And what we came to find out was that they were using that book of sorcery to conduct uh, hoodoo. And they were practicing hoodoo in this home. So one of the things that we realized was in order for us to build a firm foundation in this home in which we were going to live was we need to get rid of the hoodoo presence that was in it. No, I didn't do an exorcism or anything like that. But symbolically what we did, we got rid of the book. And we prayed and we said that this is a home of God that this is a place where families will reside, that we believe in what the cross represents and the power that comes from that. And we understand that no matter what happens in our life, that Christ is our firm foundation. And so we were able to, to live in that home uh, for many years and find ourselves uh, moving in a, um, a very healthy direction with that. So sometimes we have to refute the things that are not of our faith. There are times that we have to reject the things that are not of our faith. And we have to recapture the things that are, that are our foundation. But so often, here's what happens. We find ourselves holding up our whole being, who we are, our identity, and all the things that are about us. We hold that up on things that are not related to Christ or God at all. We put our hope in our vocations, 
that our vocations will, will make our identity. We put our hope in other people to the point that, that, that it compromises the identity of the person that we really are. We make daily choices whether we choose to walk a path of holiness or whether we choose to reject that and to go and, and just compromise and live life willy-nilly in the ways in which we think is right for us. And what happens in those instances, we find out very quickly that the foundation upon which we build isn't a strong foundation at all. In fact, what we find out, like Pastor Pam and I were talking about a little bit earlier, what happens here is we start looking at these things and we say, okay, there's, uh, there's some things that are happening within us. Well, you know, my job is, is what I build my foundation on or some other things that come from that, uh, of things that, that, we're, that we're looking at. But ultimately what happens in this situation is that we come to the point where it shakes the very foundation of where we are. And if we, move, if we start removing Christ as the foundation, as the foundation of who we are, that's what happens. The foundation is gone in our life, what? Crumbles, and it's worth nothing. And Peter says, build upon the foundation and make that a point. There was a, a farmer who was sitting on his front porch. He was enjoying a glass of lemonade. It had been a long day out in the field. He was hot. He was kind of kicking back a little bit. And uh, the little paper boy rode up on his bicycle, and the little paper boy noticed that at the farmer's house that the farmer had just put a little sign out front that said, puppies for sale. The little boy was excited. Puppies, puppies. So he asked the farmer, he says, how much are the puppies? And the farmer says, they're $25 a piece, son. And the little boy began to frown. His little meager uh, earnings that he had as a paper boy, there's no way he could afford that. And he said, I can't, I can't buy one of your puppies, but can I at least see them? And the farmer said, absolutely. So he gives a quick whistle, and the dogs come running out, wagging their tails, all excited, jumping on the little boy, loving on him and everything else. And the boy is just ecstatic, as you might imagine, in the midst of all these puppies. And just before he thought his experience was over, one of the little puppies was trailing all the others, and he was running with a hinge in his leg, and he was struggling as he was coming along. And the little boy um, got off of his bicycle, because he was petting while he was on it, got off his bicycle, and he ran over to the little pup, and he said to the farmer, this is the one that I want. The farmer said, son, why in the world would you want that? We've taken it to the vet. He doesn't have a hip socket. He'll never walk properly. He'll never run. And you can see, well, well he's, just, he's just a nothing dog. Why, would you, why, why won't you take one of these perfect dogs? And the little boy said, because, he said, I'll, in fact, what I'll do is I'll pay you 25 cents a week until I pay off that $25, but please let me have this dog. And the farmer said, I don't understand why. And the little boy pulled up his pant leg, and there was that iron brace with the leather straps on it. He said, mister, this little dog needs somebody who can understand what he's going through. And I can, and I want the dog. And see, when we put that in perspective, it helps us to see that it's our chief cornerstone. God knows everything that there is about us. He knows our faults. He knows our failures. He knows the choices that are misdirected. He knows the celebrations and the high moments. He knows all the wonderful things that happen in our life that make a reason for the kingdom's purpose to be knocked it right out of the park. He understands. And like that little boy who understood the little dog, who was broken and despised, that little boy became the cornerstone for that little dog. And our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, becomes the cornerstone for you and me.